0: Good morning, everybody. I'm Thad Lanthrop, the executive pastor here at CIV, and I'm glad that you could join us on this Memorial Day weekend. We're actually in the middle of our message series that we've called Games Families Play. And today we're taking a little break from the games that families play. Actually, in our in-person service, we're having the whole family together. So at the park right now, the whole family is gathered around and we're gonna have an interactive service with the kids um, and so we're taking a break from the games that families play and today we're going to look at where does the power come from and what are the the commands, the the ways that God wants us to relate that is going to give us a blessed family life. So we're going to take a look at that today and we're starting out by looking at Adam and Eve, the first family, the original family and as we start at the beginning, What we see is that God created the perfect world. Read Genesis 1, 27, 28, and 31 with me here. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So what we see here is that God created the perfect world. And we see that he says it was very good. Now, honestly, for me, it's very hard for me to imagine what a perfect world looks like. It's hard for me because, and it's hard for all of us, because we're, we're in an imperfect world. You know, just this week, my wife has been, who has an autoimmune disease, she's been struggling with it some. And so we've had sickness in our house and trying to talk to the doctor and figure out what's the next move. And it just, it just adds this stress. This pressure onto our life. It's just not perfect. And then also this week, I was supposed to drop my parents off at the airport early in the morning. Their, de- their plane was delayed several hours. And so what that meant was my day got disrupted. I wanted to go in early and get some work done, but my day got disrupted. And, and it, it's just not perfect. Not a big deal. But it's not perfect. Perfect. So it's hard for us to imagine what a perfect world would look like because we're in the middle of all these imperfections. But let's just imagine for a moment together what a perfect world would have looked like. Here's some things that it would would have been like. Everything was good, including people. Can you imagine that? People you work with, people in your family, people driving on the freeway. Everyone was good that would be amazing work. It would have been it would be interesting in a perfect world. It'd be challenging. It would require us to use our abilities to work and to bring creation under control, but it would be interesting and it would be motivating, not grinding and toilsome like it is a lot of times. Marriages would be harmonious, the original family would produce children that would learn from their parents how to walk with God, how to how to work in the world. Families would multiply and fill the earth, and communities would develop. There would be peace among all people. Wouldn't that be amazing? That perfect world? Well, in this perfect world, all the days in family life would be very good, All the relationships would be very good. But we don't see that in our world today. We see cultural issues. We see issues with the family. Why is that? Why do we see all these things? Well, it's because mankind chose to reject God's perfect way of life. Genesis 3, we see sin enter into the world. Sin is just missing the mark that God has given us to live. It's not living life God's way. And so God... He gave Adam and Eve permission to eat any fruit from any tree in the garden except for one tree. And Satan comes and he tempts them to eat the fruit from the one tree that he told God told them not to eat from. Look at what happens here. This is a long verse, so read along with me here. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely You will not surely die, for God knows that when you Eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And now we see there's punishment for their choice to rebel against God. And look at the punishment that God gives the serpent and to man and to woman. To the serpent, God, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. To the woman he said, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, of your face, you shall eat bread. So the perfect world was no more. Sin had entered in. There, There would be struggles of all kinds. Mankind's relationship with God was broken because we rejected him. We went our own way. There was strife in Adam and Eve's relationship as well. And that has continued on until today. Now, we can't just blame the state of the world on Adam and Eve because what we see and what we have experienced is that all of us have put our stamp of approval on their decision to reject God and go our own way. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everybody. We've all chosen to go our own way. We've all departed from God's perfect way of life that he wants us to live and have the, the happiness, the blessing from living life his way. But God didn't just leave us on our own when we made that decision. He wants us to have a restored relationship with him And when we do, it gives us the power to relate rightly in our families. Mankind's relationship with God can be restored through Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we say Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is God I am going to turn from living life my own way, and I'm going to follow you. You are going to be my Lord, my ruler. I'm going to look to you for how to live my life. And when we say that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, when we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, what we're saying is, God, I believe that you stepped into our world as, as the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, For our sins and raised three days later, conquering death and allowing that if I confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that this is true, that you were a real person, that you did die and rise again, if I believe that, then my relationship with God can be restored. That's what we're saying. And the Bible talks about this as a gift. And it's a gift because we can't make up the gap in our relationship between us and God on our own. God's perfect; He's holy. Once we we sin, there's no way to make up that gap. Look at Ephesians two eight and nine with me. It says, "For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves; it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast." We can't boast that we are Christians like it's something that we did. We boast that Jesus was God, was perfect. He died on the cross for our sins. Our sin created that gap. Jesus is the bridge between us and God. If we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And we have a gift for Anyone who would like one this morning, it's a book. It's called Alive, a Cold Case Approach to the Resurrection. This book was, was written by a detective, and he was an atheist when he started investigating Christianity. And he, used his, he wanted to use his detective skills to disprove the resurrection. But what he found is that as he started looking into the evidence, he became convinced that this was real. Jesus was real, and I read I read the book. It's a short book. I read it this uh, week, and it's really interesting to see what he looked at as he was investigating whether this is real or not and get that perspective of a detective. This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news that is found in the Bible. God created this perfect world. We chose to reject him, to live life our own way. Sin entered the world. It created all kinds of problems. But God didn't leave us on our own. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life, dying on the cross, raising three days later, conquering death and sin. And if we believe in him, choose to to follow Christ, we can have our relationship with God restored. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. When you do that, you're saved from your sins. And God shows us the commands to follow in the Bible that lead to a life of peace, a life of gentleness, a life of good relationships. Here at CIV, we commit those who are members commit to live out the seven hard attitudes. And the first four hard attitudes are are commands in Scripture that relate to relating to one another. The last three are more how do we relate to the church. So we're going to look at these first four together because these aren't just for how we relate in church life. If we practice these hard attitudes on the job, if we practice them in our families, If we do them in all areas of life, we will have blessed relationships. So take a look with me at how God helps a family to relate rightly when they follow his commands to do these things. The first is putting the goals and interests of others ahead of their own. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. A typical objection to this hard attitude is, you know, if I'm putting the goals and interests of others above my own all the time, then who's taking care of me? How am I going to get my goals and interests accomplished? And that's a great question. It's one that I've had in the past, and it's really a good one. But verse 4 says, let each of you look not only... To his own interests. So you see, our interests are wrapped up into this command in Scripture. It's not just we're going to let everybody walk all over us. And right now in our community groups, uh, we've been reading a book called Heart Attitudes by Harold Bullock. Harold Bullock's the one who pulled out these seven heart, these seven attitudes from Scripture of how we relate to each other in the church. And he had a quote in this that really helped me to understand what heart attitude number one is talking about. Look at it with me. Scripture is saying that as I move forward in life, I need to pursue my interests in a way that is helpful, not detrimental to others. I pursue my goals in line with the good of God, the good of my family, the good of the group that I am a part of, the good of my church, and even the good of other people on the freeway. That was so helpful to me because what it is saying is, I I love the part where it says I need to pursue my interests in a way that is helpful, not detrimental to others. So I can pursue my interests. It's right for me to pursue the goals, to get things done in life. But as I do that, I can't step over people to get what I want. I can't push them out of the way to, to go first. I need to put their interests ahead of my own. I've asked Jeff Frieden uh, to give us a story of this heart attitude. He's going to introduce himself briefly, and then he's going to share a story about how heart attitude number one has been a huge help in their family life.
1: Hi, I'm Jeff Frieden, and I've been a member at CIV for 17 or 18 years now. I've lost count over time. And uh, I'm going to tell you about heart attitude number one, putting the goals and interests of others above my own as it relates to benefiting my family. And I'm not going to be talking about me. I'm going to be talking about my wife, Lindsay, who is different than the Lindsay you're going to hear from later on. Just wanted to clear up that. So first, about my wife, Lindsay, and I, we have been married for almost 15 years. We're going to be celebrating our 15th anniversary next month. And we have four kids, a 12-year-old boy, 10-year-old, 7-year-old and a two and a half year old, the rest of girls. Before we were married, so a little bit of background about who my wife is. Before we were married, she was a school teacher. She taught art at public school. It was a great job. You know, there was plenty of time that she was working hard, but plenty of time off too. Great benefits. And when we became pregnant with our oldest, uh, we had a lot of conversation and a lot of decisions were made where she would. We, she ultimately decided that she would uh, set her career aside and focus full-time on being uh, a mom and a wife. And that made a lot of sense at the time, and then more kids came along, and she also took on another role as teacher as the kids started to grow. grow. So um, my wife, who had this great job, she decided that she would just go full-time investing in the family, uh, wife and mother, and it's been a huge benefit for our family. And not every wife and mother can make that decision, uh, but we were able to, and it's been a real blessing. Now, um, but more practically and more recently, my wife uh, has, there's a couple of stories I'd like to share about how she's in the week-to-week, in the year-to-year, how she's made some sacrifices that have really benefited us. So one story is about my wife um, being a wife. So, uh and how she was really kind to me and made just a sacrifice throughout the, in the midst of her week, that was a real benefit to me. So if we go back to August of 2020, um, I'm a school teacher, so I was starting back to work, and I was going to the school building even though the students were staying home during this year. And I had a really busy day in front of me, and I knew I had a lot of things to do. And so I was getting ready for the day, and I was kind of rushed in the morning. And I rushed out of the house, and I forgot to bring my lunch with me to work. And by the time I had gotten there, um, about 30-minute commute, I call her and I say, did I leave my lunch at home? And she says, yes, you did. And I went, oh, I don't think I'm going to get a chance to eat today because I have so much going on. I was going to kind of eat and work at the same time. So I went about my day, and I settle into, like, I had my teaching part of the day, and I settle into the next part where I have a lot of work to do. It's outside in triple-digit heat uh, with the mask on. It was It was pretty tough work, and I was starting to feel a little bit of self-pity about how I wasn't going to have lunch that day. And all of a sudden, she shows up with the kids with Raising Cane's. So she had taken time out of her day to to go to the uh, drive-thru, get her husband some lunch, her absent-minded husband some lunch, and uh, bring the kids with. They had popsicles, too. It was so refreshing for me. It was great. Um, they, the kids could see the look on my face and uh, how excited I was to see them. And it just was one more opportunity where my wife, or at least my love for my wife, grew in that moment, and it knit us together as a family, and uh, it was a tremendous benefit in that way. And if you know my wife, too, she's somebody who likes to build to-do lists and then stick to the list, so for her to rearrange her schedule for about 90 minutes to two hours out of that day, it was a big sacrifice for her, and uh, again, a big benefit for us, for me in particular. Uh, another story is about my my wife taking on the role of mom, and we're involved with an organization um, called Classical Conversations. It supplements the the teaching she does at home with my kids. And Classical Conversations, if you're not familiar with that organization, a simple way to explain it would be think of like little league soccer team. On a little, <laughs> when you sign your kids up for a little league soccer team, all the families pay in, and they kind of show up for that first meeting. And at that first meeting, you're gonna figure out who's gonna be coach. And from what I understand, not a lot of people are clamoring for that position and that title. Bless you if you do. Um, Similar kinds of it's a similar kind of structure for classical conversations where the parents are the ones that volunteer to take on the roles of tutor. A couple years ago, at the classical conversations that we're participating in, one of those roles was opening up, and my son was going to be transitioning into that particular course or class that they were going to be offering. But it looks like there was going to be no tutor available. And so after doing a lot of talking and thinking about it, there was a lot of uncertainty about if the role would even be filled. My wife decided to take on that role, looking at her schedule, looking at everything. She realized that she had enough availability to do it, but it also meant that it was going to cut into her time in the evenings And it was also going to challenge her in a way where she, I mean, she'd be the first to admit that she didn't feel like she had the competency equipped for the role. And she knew that she could grow into that. So she decided to take on that role, grow into that competency, and give up some of her nights where she would like to be doing her own things. She had some ideas about what she was going to do with her free time. And she gave that up for the family. And it was a big benefit for my son, who was able to participate in that class. It actually turned out to be a really big benefit for her because, again, she grew into that competency, which means that it's going to be a benefit for uh his sisters who come after him. My, I'm talking about my son. And um, so she is better equipped for the role that she's decided to take on as teacher of our kids. And, in a lot of ways, she's making a lot of sacrifice. I could tell many stories about how my wife Lindsay, has made a lot of sacrifices over the years that have benefited the family. Those are a couple and all of those things considered it helps knit us together as a family and um, is just a real an invitation for us to to love one another and a great example for our kids.
0: Thank you, Jeff, for sharing that It's really helpful to see how that hard attitude can really impact the family. For good. So, hard attitude number one, it puts the goals and interests of others ahead of our own. Hard attitude number two, lives an honest and open life before others. Take a look at Ephesians four twenty five with me. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood to speak tr- and speak truthfully to hit your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. This is so important. Me personally, I I can get in my head and think, ah, it's not a big deal if I share, tell people what's going on in my life. It doesn't seem like a big deal to me. I think, ah, I'll just, I don't want to, basically, I don't want to be the person who's always asking for prayer or what, whatever it is. I can get in my head and think those things, but... It's so important to practice this hard attitude because if I'm not honest with where I'm really at in life, if I'm putting on a show when things, I'm really struggling with hard things that are going on, then people aren't going to know how to put their, put my goals and interests ahead of their own. They're not going to know what's really happening and there's going to, there's deception there. And so it's really helpful to tell people what's going on in our life, to live an open and honest life with people. A a simple example of this happened in my family. I was calling one of my kids by a nickname, and it wasn't derogatory or anything, just a fun nickname. And one time he just stopped me and said, you know what, Dad, I I don't like it when you call me nicknames. I just want to be my name. And that was really helpful to know. I didn't want to keep calling him a nickname when he really didn't like it. So him being open and honest about what what he likes and didn't like helped me to relate rightly to him and not keep pushing him down with nicknames that he didn't like. So it's so important to put heart attitude number two into practice, to live an open and honest life. And then heart attitude number three says give to give and receive scriptural correction. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This hard attitude, it helps us to get warned when we're starting to veer off and not do life God's way. We're starting to do our old habits, our old ways. Somebody can speak truth to us in a way that's encouraging, that they they love us. They want to help us to live life God's way so that we can experience the good fruit that comes from that. Now, something with this heartitude, especially in the family as you're living so closely, is you don't want to be creating an atmosphere of correcting each other all the time. And so a good rule is nine, the 90-10 rule. Try to make it 90% encouragement and 10% correction in any relationship where you might feel a need to correct them. So be looking for ways to encourage your kids with things that, that are going well. Encourage your spouse. Encourage your, your roommates, whoever you're living with. Encourage them with how they're doing things well so that when there is a time to correct, there's that atmosphere of love and encouragement behind that correction. And then harder to number four says, clear up relationships. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Here we see the, the, the huge importance on having clear relationships with one another. God is giving this a huge priority, saying if you're coming to worship me and there's there's something wrong with your relationship to your brother, go clear that up. Then come and worship me. When we mess up, we clean up. We ask forgiveness. It's so tempting to just say, oh, sorry, and try to brush things under the rug. But what we need to do is say, you know, When I chose to cut in when you were talking, not speak truth, not not letting you finish your thought, that was wrong. I wasn't putting your goals and interests ahead of my own. I was trying to to cut in. Will you forgive me for doing that? Taking ownership of what we've done, asking forgiveness is the way to deal with it. Not just saying I'm sorry or just ignoring it and sweeping it under the rug. This hard attitude will radically change family life. They all will, but this one really will um, big time. It, it will help things not to fester under the surface, but it will deal with them when they happen, and then the family can move forward with it. I've asked Lindsay Rosman to come and introduce herself uh, quickly, and then she's going to share a story about how this heart attitude has been a huge help to their family.
2: Hi, I'm Lindsay, and I've been married to Brad for 16 years, and I'm sharing today about clearing up relationships. I first um, learned about this heart attitude over 20 years ago when my family started attending Church in the Valley. Um, At that time, I wasn't following Jesus yet, uh, but my parents had recently decided to do life God's way, and they started practicing these heart attitudes in our home. And so I specifically remember one time, um, my dad and I had had an argument, and as a teenager, I am almost positive that the fault would have been mine. Uh, But my dad chose to come to me and make it right and clear it up with me. And uh, to be honest, it was awkward, but he pushed through that and he set an example for me. And my mom did many times too. And I'm so grateful that they chose to work to establish new patterns of relating because it's hard to do. Uh, but you can start it at any time. And so in my family life, in more recent years, I have a lot of practice with this particular heart attitude. Uh, We have three children, ages 10, 7, and 2, and I can easily struggle with my words towards them or a harsh tone when my goal is blocked. But what I've learned is that I can hold my kids accountable for their actions without using a harsh tone. So when I use a harsh tone, that's on me and I need to make that right. And so that has led to many times of me asking my kids to please forgive me for a harsh tone. Uh, One specific time recently, the Lord convicted me of using a harsh tone, but I was busy and doing other things, so I didn't address it right away with my daughter. Within a few minutes, my seven-year-old daughter came up to me, and she cleared it up with me. She said what she did wrong, and she asked me to forgive her, and she set the pace for me and set an example, and I was very grateful and humbled by her, and then I was able to clear up my part, and we moved on. So what I've noticed as we've worked to establish this pattern of relating in our home uh, between me and my husband and between us and our kids is that it helps us to be quick to forgive, just like the Lord forgives us, and then move on with our family life. Um, there's goodwill and, and trust built each time that I admit my wrong with my kids. My kids already know when I've been harsh, so to admit it really clears the air so that the atmosphere in our home can be a pleasant one, and it really protects our relationships from built-up resentment. And so also it helps me to really see and identify sinful patterns in my heart that I can ask the Lord to help me grow in. And so I can say that I have benefited from practicing this heart attitude and it being practiced with me for over 20 years, and I am very grateful.
0: Thank you, Lindsay, for sharing that story. You know, we, we're all bound to mess up relationships at some point, and heart attitude number four, it helps us to deal with it when it happens so that it just, it doesn't come this break in the relationship. So I was hoping that Lindsay and Jeff's stories would really help us to see how does this play out in family life? How can we put these hard attitudes into practice to create the atmosphere that helps us to have healthy relationships, that helps us to get more like that perfect world that God had for us before we messed it up with sin. We're not going to get to perfection here in this life. That'll be for heaven. But when we follow God's commands, we're relating the way that he wants us to relate. And it can just make it a tremendous joy to do life together with people at church, with our families, with coworkers. As we put these into practice, it's a joy to be in relationships with one another. I want to highlight a couple next steps that you might want to take in response to the message today. First, there is an additional handout that you can get on the Sermon Notes tab up at the top of the page. And it has a sermon reminder, which just has the four hard attitudes on it. And then it has a family challenge and a family fun thing that you can do. The family challenge this week is to try to let other family members go first or to choose first. And then once you do that for a week, set a time of a family fun night and get some dessert or play a game together, whatever's fun for your family, and then talk about how the family challenge helped your family. Another next step that you might want to take in response to the message is to read alive, a cold case approach to the resurrection. You got some questions about the resurrection. Did that really happen? It's a great place to start to read Get the detective's perspective on how he became convinced that it really did happen. It was a historical event. And a final next step you might want to take today is to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you haven't taken that step yet to restore your relationship with God, I invite you to do that right now. To pray and let God know that you believe Jesus is Lord and that you believe that God raised him from the dead. If you do that, please let us know on your connection card, and we'd love to give you some resources, reach out, see how we can help you at the start of your Christian journey. I hope that you all have a great week practicing the heart attitudes and experiencing the sweet life that comes from living, from relating the way that God wants us to. Would you pray with me? God, we just pray for your help. We thank you for your your commands in the scripture, your help to show us how to relate rightly. And we ask for your help to do that this week. Please give sweet, us uh, sweet time in our families this week and help us to choose to put others first and see the blessing that comes from doing that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.